The Chris Sheeran Show, only on YesNetwork.com. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another edition of The Chris Sheeran Show on the iTunes Podcast Network and uh, YesNetwork.com. As usual, your usual sus- suspects, uh, minus Kaiser Sose, are here. Lou DiPietro. The greatest trick he ever pulled was proving to the world he doesn't exist. <laughs> Say hello to the people, Lou. Hello to the people, Lou. Uh, and Chris Sheeran's here as well, as, as is... Um, the publisher of Pinstripes Plus Magazine joins us again, Patrick Teal, who, who is everything Yankees on the farm. Uh, you want to know anything about anybody the Yankees have down on the farm? Besides the man sitting to my right, you're left in the radio world, Lou DiPietro. You want to talk to Patrick Teal. So, Patrick, welcome aboard, buddy. Thanks a lot, guys. Um, Patrick is here uh, because the... Major League Baseball draft, uh, 40th round is over. The Rule 4 draft. Are, are, are they still drafting? <laughs> yeah, I think they finished up via, like, carrier pigeon somewhere <laughs> around late last night. My God. It's a lengthy process. 40 rounds. Can you imagine, Patrick, if, if the NFL draft was 40 rounds? I no, mean, I couldn't. People would just be insane. Like, how could you take him with the 37th round pick? That's well, ridiculous. I'd love to see Mel Kuyper in that situation. Oh, my like, God. This kid, you know, Division Four All-American out of Southwest Turnpike Tech A&M. <laughs> like, this is where he'd be going at that point. You know what? Uh, he would not have that luscious head of hair if he had to deal with 40 rounds <laughs> in the NFL draft. Pat, let, let's get right to the Yankees' first round pick, the 21-year-old James Caprellian. Um Major League uh, MLB Network, uh, they projected him as a number three starter when he gets up. Uh, they said he could get up to the bigs fast. Uh, what else can you tell us about the uh, highest selection the Yankees have had since 1993? Well, I talked to Damon Oppenheimer, the Yankee scouting director, after they made the selection. Uh, you know, and you read all the pre-draft chatter, and you're right. It seems like everybody seems to have that mid-rotation starter book on him. I, I get the sense from the Yankees that they feel he's got a higher ceiling than that. Not everybody reaches their ceiling, as we all know, but... Uh, you know, they were saying they were seeing him sitting, you know, 93 to 95 there towards the end at UCLA. They love his curveball. You know, a lot of scouts love his changeup. So this is a guy with some pitch ability. He's got some stuff. Um, you know, he's not just not just a pitch ability guy. But uh, they they seem to think he might have a higher ceiling than than a mid rotation starter. I mean, they they think there's maybe some front line starting potential given his pitch ability and the fact that he's got you know two above average to plus. Secondary pitches and can average in the mid nineties at times. Comparisons to Ian Kennedy were were they fair? I don't think they're fair at all. I mean, first of all, this guy's six foot four. <laughs> Kennedy was, you know, he was he was six foot if he was in platform shoes. Um, <laughs> I, I, I think I think that that alone um, makes it a little bit different. And Kennedy was more of an eighty eight to ninety guy when he was coming out of college. You know, he would he would splatter some ninety one ninety twos. But this is a guy that you know averages. If it's not 93, 94, like, like, like the Yankees said there towards the end of the year, it's certainly in the 90, 95 range. So I, I think there's a little bit more velocity. Uh, it sounds like the curveball is, is a, a far more advanced pitch than what Kennedy had. So I'm not sure I'm buying the comparison too much. If I can go make a, a com- comparison to somebody else the Yankees drafted in that same round as Ian Kennedy, uh, Caprillion was also one of the back-end bullpen guys on UCLA's College World Series team a couple years ago. Could that be more maybe, you know, Jabba Chamberlain may be more his path where he could come up next year, the year after, as a reliever to get his feet wet before kind of jumping into the rotation? I I don't see that happening just because if the Yankees have something on the farm system, it's a plethora of bullpen arms. I mean, as we've seen, I mean, lingering, getting called up and and pitching well. And, I mean, they got Nick Rumbelo at AAA. They've got a lot of bullpen arms just coming up through the minor leagues. I I think they want a starter, and I think a brilliant with with, – with three pitches, um, all above average or better, is a starting pitcher. I don't think they're going to mess with him in the bullpen. Hey, Patrick, how about the uh, second pick, first round? It was a compens- comp- <clears throat> compensatory pick. That's a hard word to say for me, apparently, uh, for uh, David Robertson signing with the White Sox. Uh, and they take Kyle Holder, another 21-year-old, a left-handed hitting shortstop. The book on him, great fielder, uh, but the bat could uh, be a liability despite hitting close to 350 last season at the University of San Diego. Uh, what can you tell us about Holder? Well, obviously, I haven't seen him myself yet, but uh, the Yankees, like Caprillion, they, they seem to think he's got a higher ceiling than people think, um, with the bat especially. They, they say the glove is a given. Uh, Damon said that uh, he is probably the best defensive shortstop they've seen come in the draft in the last several years. So there's no question mark about the defense. Uh, yes, the, pre, the pre-draft chatter on his bat was, you know, maybe the bat might not come around. The Yankees seem to think it will come around, and they seem to think that it could be you know, a pretty decent tool by the time he gets to the big leagues. 
we'll have to wait and see. I mean, obviously he's going to have to, to face some professional pitching and see how he does. But, you know, apparently he doesn't strike out very much. He puts the ball in play. He's been hitting for more power recently. So th- this might not just be an all-glove, no-hit kind of guy. If you, you know, if you believe the haters on the social media after we post these things, the Yankees post these things, people are afraid this is Cito Culver Part 2, only a little bit, uh, little bit later in time. But what the Yankees want right now, Didi Gregorius was brought in as a good defensive shortstop. Um, <clears throat> you know, Culver's been very good defensively, just hasn't hit. They have a lot of great defense for shortstops in the, in the minors. So this kind of seems to me like it's just another, another pick along that line, only like you said, with maybe the bat has a higher ceiling than people think. You know, I, I'll be honest with you. I, I questioned the pick myself at first, not because of, you know, I, I never go by the pre-draft uh, scattering reports because you just don't know when these guys get to the professional level what they're going to be like. I, I question the pick just because they seem to, the Yankees do, in my opinion, have a lot of quality shortstop prospects. But the Yankees' feeling on the subject was you can never have too many. A lot of their guys that they do have that are quality shortstop prospects are in A-ball. You never know with these guys how they're going to adjust to the higher levels, if they're going to remain healthy. Um, you know, and Damon's feeling was, you know, if we had just let this guy pass because we have too many shortstops, too many shortstops that, uh, you know, he would be kicking himself if a year from now they're facing him in the big league level. So, you know, the more the merrier is, I guess, their thought process on the, on the whole subject. You know, four shortstops were taken in the top, first ten picks of the draft. And the top three overall. Yeah, and the top three picks overall were shortstops. Did that surprise you at all, Patrick? No, because I think that, you know, as we've seen, you know, with Eldred and Silmans and all these guys up at the big league level, I mean, it's become a, you know, back what it used to be, a defense first position. And if Holder winds up being a defense first player, hey, the more the merrier. I mean, that's what they would love to have. I mean, that's, that's the importance of the position these days is defense first. Uh, but, no, it didn't surprise me because of the importance of the position itself to, you know, helping, helping teams get their wins. So now we can move on to the, the third pick of, of day one. Uh, the second rounder was uh, Jeff Degano out of Indiana State. Uh, already had his Tommy John surgery, so that makes Yankees fans, again, the haters, very happy. But, you know, this is a guy who didn't really pitch for a couple of years and then came out of nowhere uh, as their ace this season. Uh, what do you know, uh, what can you say about this uh, big guy? Well, apparently, you know, there's some people that I know in the scouting community that consider this guy quite the sleeper. Um, not just because he had his Tommy John surgery, but because he's got some quality pitches. And because, like you said, he hasn't pitched all that much yet. But yet he shows good stuff. He shows a high level of pitchability. And, and he throws from the left side. He's six foot four. I mean, this is not a small guy. So they think there's a considerable ceiling to this guy and also safeness in his projection. I mean, you're talking about Caprillion being a mid-rotation starter. There's a lot of people in the scouting community, even those guys a second-round pick, that feel like he he could be that kind of guy as well, maybe even better as he gets further away from his Tommy John surgery. I mean, he's already thrown in the low to mid-90s already. I mean, he's hit 94-95 from the left side. Those guys don't exactly grow on trees. No, they don't. And, you know, the Yankees, as you said, you brought up Lindgren before, uh, you know, so it's not like they have a paucity of left-handers right. in their bullpen right now. They don't. They're, they're pretty much stocked. But if they could find another diamond in a rough or another sleeper, like you just said, that's tremendous for the Yankees as they look to the future here. Uh, besides Caprellian and, and, you know, hearing the, the experts say that he could move fast and get to the big leagues, uh, any of the draft picks that you saw in the 41 that the Yankees took, 34 from the collegiate level, do you see any of those uh, besides Caprellian going, you know, they, they can make a fast break to, uh, of it to the majors? Well, I mean, I, I would imagine um, rounds four and five are the two guys that I would probably think of offhand that could maybe move pretty quickly. Jeff Hendricks is a guy that has gotten some Jacoby Ellsbury comps. I, you know, I don't know if he has that kind of ceiling, but he, he's one of those guys that does a little bit of everything. He can hit. He's got some speed. He's got a little bit of power. He can play defense. You know, a lot of people are saying, you know, a lot of scouts are saying it could be a fourth outfielder type. But it sounds like his game's advanced enough where he could move rather quickly, maybe break in, maybe maybe like a Brett Gardner type initially as a reserve outfielder, maybe and secure some more playing time as he gets better at the big league level. And then Chance Adams is a reliever. Well, he he has a chance to move as a reliever. He throws ninety four, ninety eight. He's he's got some some pretty decent mm-hmm. secondary pitches that are going to need some work. I'm, I'm interested to see how the Yankees handle Chance Adams. I mean, he's a guy that uh, you know 
He could move quickly, maybe like Nick Rumbelow did. He moved over four levels in one year because he had that overpowering fastball uh, and breaking ball combination. Mm-hmm. I don't know if the Yankees might want to take their time with him a little bit just to see if maybe we, hey, let's put him in the starting rotation initially at the minor league level, let him develop his secondary pitches more. But apparently he's got the he's got the moxie and he's got the power to maybe be one of these guys that can move pretty quickly. Besides Rumbelow, too, Tyler Webb, another lefty in the, the bullpen, has moved pretty quickly since being drafted. But Adams, he was one of three guys from that Dallas Baptist uh, relief corps that was drafted in the same round. Right. I, he, I mean, these guys, th- this must have been a pretty <laughs> ridiculous bullpen. Yeah, I mean, well, Dallas Baptist inside the college baseball circles had a very good reputation with the opposing teams. I mean, nobody really wanted to face Dallas mm-hmm. Baptist. So, yeah, I mean, they, they obviously have a very good reputation. One question I have for you, speaking of guys, you know, the collegiate community, Chris mentioned before, 34 of the 41 picks were collegians. The Yankees had Jigailo and Judge a couple of years ago as their, their two of their top three picks have moved very quickly through the system. They're collegians. Lindgren last year already in the majors. Is this switch to the more collegiate? I mean, this is a lot of picks from the college ranks. I think 15 of them, 15 of them were seniors and 17 juniors, somewhere, somewhere Some, along that like line, that, yeah. 1700 classmen. Is this a, a move more towards these guys have produced in the system of late and are better stocking the farm system for immediate impact? Is there a little bit of we now have an eighth affiliate to fill this year in Pulaski that's we've got to sign guys? Or is there kind of somewhere a balance in between where they're picking the best players, they just happen to be third- and fourth-year collegians? I think it's all of the above. I, mean, I really do. I think. I mean, let's look at what the Yankees did last year. They signed, like, I, I want to say 20-something, 20-something, 16-year-olds out of the international market, most of which were position players. So they, they had a need for pitching, uh, and, and they had a need for older pitching, and they had some, you know, some, some guys they want to move, some, uh, move quicker. They also see a team like the St. Louis Cardinals, who have had a ton of success drafting college guys, even later in the, later in the draft, and these guys moving pretty quick. And as you mentioned, DeGilo and Judge and Lindgren and all these other guys that they've been drafting out of the college ranks the last few years have, been, have begun to move a little quicker. So I, th- I think it's all the above. Um, I, and, I th- and again, filling another affiliate. I mean, obviously that comes into play as well. Although the affiliate is a short season league that's even lower than Staten Island. I don't know how much of that comes into play. But uh, I think it's a nice combination that they have, uh, they've done for themselves here with all the young position players. And they do. They have a ton of them coming up from the Dominican Summer League ranks. Uh, that they're going to be able to filter at the lower minor league levels, and now they've got some some uh, advanced pitching that they can kind of throw along with those bats. Uh, one more for me on the draft, Patrick. And you said you you talked to Damon Oppenheimer. Mm-hmm. Um, I just want to know what kind of sense, what kind of feel did you get for him overall from the draft? How did he feel after it took place? Well, <laughs> in the spirit of full disclosure, I think if you talk to every scouting director from every baseball organization, they're all going to feel really, really great after their drafts immediately done. But I think Damon's also real too. I think I think you know he wants to see how this thing plays out. We need to see how this thing plays out. You can't grade this draft a day or two, a week, or even a year after the draft. I mean, something like this takes you know probably two, three, even sometimes four years to evaluate. But I think you know if you ask him today, he feels very. Very glad with what they were able to accomplish in the draft this year, getting a guy like Caprillion with some high ceiling, a guy like Kyle Holder. I mean, I feel it. And Drew Finley is a guy we didn't even talk about. Right. You know, a guy with baseball bloodlines out of high school that's going to sign with the Yankees, apparently, pretty quickly here, that has some upside as well. I think they feel really good about what they've been able to do uh, with the draft this year. You, you mentioned that Finley has the baseball bloodlines, and the Yankees also took another one of uh, Troy Affenier's sons. Um, they took Ty Affenier a couple years ago, and I, I, Austin, I believe, is his name. They, they took later in the draft, so another little bit of baseball baseball royalty, so to speak, for the Yankees. <laughs> and another Andrew Miller. And another Andrew Miller as well. <laughs> one name that I found interesting, and, and you can tell me or tell the, you know, the, the listeners what you might know about this guy. Uh, I believe Dustin Cook, the 36-round pick, he's been drafted four times. Out of high school, JUCO twice, and now Oklahoma City University as a junior. The Yankees got him in the 36th round. I don't know anything about Dustin Cook, obviously, besides what I've read about him. Um, I'm, I'm very, I'm glad you brought up his name because I am definitely interested to go see what he's all about. Should he sign? I mean, junior obviously has the option of going back to school again, but uh, <laughs> um, yeah, I mean, getting drafted that many times obviously shows you that the the, the baseball world, what they, what the baseball world thinks about him. Well, he's been drafted by the Mets, the Yankees, the Indians, and the Reds, so he's out in New York and Ohio teams. Right. Uh, if he decides to sign, he might, uh, <laughs> might, might hit the jackpot. Right. All right, Patrick, let's, let's move on to some guys that uh, you covered in the draft and who are now making some noise. Um, 
the first one I guess we should go to is Mason Williams, who who just got called up by the Yankees. Uh, he he burst onto the scene. He was like the number one prospect in the Yankees system. Went backwards a little bit, but now you know we went up to Triple A between Triple A and and Double A Trenton this year. I think he was hitting three seventeen at Double A yep. before he got promoted, and he was hitting three twenty one. Uh, at Scranton, at the, and when he got promoted to the big club today, uh, Thursday. Um, so, give us some thoughts on uh, Mason Williams uh, getting up there finally. Well, you know, and you know, finally, and that's just the thing. I mean, we always look at minor league numbers. Baseball is a numbers game, and, and you can't really fault anybody for looking at numbers. Numbers don't lie. Numbers, but but at the minor league level, they kind of sometimes do. And, and I say that because you're dealing with you know not finished products. These guys are developing. <laughs> Excuse me. Um, and Mason was a guy that, yes, he scuttled there for about two years. The thing that people don't always remember is this is a guy that had shoulder surgery right before he started his little bit of slide on his lead shoulder when batting. And, and that sometimes has an effect on it. So, I mean, this is a guy that also, when he was first drafted, was extremely skinny. He put on weight to try and get stronger. And then he put on so much weight that he probably got too big. And then he had to lose some more weight. So this is a guy that was in a constant state of flux in trying to find out who he was as a baseball player. And he wasn't always healthy. So I think this year we finally saw what we saw two years ago or even three years ago was a guy that's a small ball player, can steal bases, a great defender in center field, can play the other outfield positions as well, gets on base. I mean, this year I think he – you have the numbers. I think he's walking more than he's striking out. And this is a guy that has some six strikeouts. And is strike finally outs, yeah. being disciplined, um, as opposed mm-hmm. in the past when he wasn't completely healthy and he was trying to do too much at the plate, swinging at pitches he probably couldn't handle. I think, um, I, I think this is a guy that we're finally starting to see what he can really do on a baseball field. Yeah, I think he has six strikeouts and 54 bats in Scranton so far. Uh, you know, Pat, uh, you, you brought it up. Like, the numbers sometimes are deceiving in the minors. And... Uh, in that ilk, uh, in that thinking, in that way of thinking, Rob Refsnyder comes to mind, and that's the immediate follow-up I have for that. Because you look at a, you, you look at the errors, and they jump out at you. Oh my God, he's made double-digit errors already, uh, and we're just in the beginning of June. But I went down to Scranton. I talked to the coaches down there. Uh, Justin Torty uh, is one of the coaches that's been working with him on his defense since he got there in April. He says he's made huge strides at second base. Uh, the kid was an outfielder, and now he's at second base, and he's he's making some progress. But you've been around Ref Snyder, you, you, and I just met him, and, and, mm-hmm. and I know what his makeup is. I mean, I think he's a guy that could flourish if he gets to New York. What are your thoughts on Ref Snyder and the numbers that he's put up down there in the minors, you know, specifically the errors? Do you think that this is something he could put behind him and get up to the, to the Bronx? I, it's not something I think that he can put behind him. It's something I know he'll put behind him. I mean, you, you mentioned the error totals, and they are. They are high. He leads the team in errors. But if you look inside the numbers, I mean, of those 12 errors that he has, I bet you seven or eight of them were made in the first two or three weeks. When he, you know, he put a lot of pressure on himself. He didn't have a great defensive spring training camp with the big league club. And then he got back to Scranton in the cold weather, still adjusting to the new position. And, yeah, he had a bunch of errors right away. <laughs> kind of like Ian Desmond did with the Nationals. Uh, I don't know if everybody remembers that, but, that, you know, he had probably six or seven errors the first two weeks of the season. He's finally, yeah, he's slowing down the game a little bit. I, I have no concerns whatsoever with Ref Snyder making the defensive adjustment. And the problem is, I think, it kind of goes into that whole patience thing and, and the greater New York area not always being the most patient people in the world. It's going to take some patience with Ref Snyder. He's not going to set the world on fire with his glove. But I think he's got the, and you've met him, he's got that tremendous makeup that you just know he's going to make that adjustment long term. There might be some short-term growing pains that everybody's going to have to live with, but the bat is for, the bat is legit, and the makeup is off the charts. I mean, you want to talk Derek Jeter-like makeup? That's what this guy's got. And the the errors thing is something Chris and I talk about a lot. You mentioned Ian Desmond, who made the error that gave the Yankees a. Let him break the game open the other night. Hit Ramon Flores in the butt with a throw from right. third base. You have to look any but, further than your own team and but Chase Headley. Chase Headley, Didi Gregorio. I mean, the, the infield defense was supposed to be a strength, and none of them outside of Teixeira are really lighting the world on fire. But one of the guys, one of the guys that's speaking into the left side of the infield that I wanted to bring up in the in the farm system that we mentioned Mason Williams, his rise from kind of took a step back when he's he's moved on to the majors now. Slade Heathcott did the same thing this year. Ramon Flores has been waiting a long time for his chance. These guys finally getting him. Dante Bichette Jr. was recently demoted right. from Trenton back to Tampa. And I know 
you know, there's not really a numbers game there. There was room for him and Jagailo and Bird and all these guys at the beginning of the year in Trenton, and there was even more room with all the outfield issues that have been going on. Is is there hope for Bichette to become, you know, maybe the next one of these guys that takes a step backwards but finally figures it out? Or five years in now, are we looking at the end? Uh, I don't I think it's a little premature to say that we're looking at the end, but he's obviously regressed some. I mean, it, it you got to call a spade a spade. I, I've never been in love with Dante defensively, um, and and I think that's part of the problem too. I mean, Jagailo, for all the things that he's all the things that he's doing offensively, still needs a lot of work defensively. And I think when you're sharing, you know, splitting time between two guys that both need defensive work, I think that demotion to Tampa has had a little bit to come, you know, had a little bit to play with there because you can't really share time with two guys that need a lot of work defensively. Right. Excellent. So point. I, I didn't, I didn't really understand having both of them in Trenton to, at the beginning of the year to begin with, to be honest with you, because they both need a lot of reps. Patrick, excellent job as always. And you know what? You brought up uh, Hendricks. Uh, just think about the home run calls that John Sterling will have at his disposal, all the Jimi Hendrix songs that he can go to. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> He's got, you, mentioned, he, you mentioned Jacoby Ellsbury talking about it too. He's got the Ellsbury pedigree with the Oregon State. So yeah, right. there, there he go. is. So, you know, one guy we didn't talk about going back to the draft real quick that I am totally intrigued by is their six-round pick is, is Brandon Wagner. I mean, this is a guy that hit 20 home runs in less than 200 at-bats. Apparently, you know, he's going to need a lot of work defensively. They don't know where he's going to play. He's played short, third, second. If Guess what? If he could, most likely be yeah, second base. If he could hit, if he could hit, yeah. they'll find a position they're, for they're him. 40. <laughs> That's exactly it. I mean, he's got some power, and he's a left-handed hitter. In Yankee Stadium, I mean, I'm totally intrigued by what this guy's going to wind up being two, three, four years from now. Their 40th round pick, too, set Catawba College records in hits, home runs, RBIs, right. hit 400, slugged like his OPS was 1,200 or something like that. Division two player of the year. I mean, they, they got a couple of boppers in the draft. Yeah, so. they did. We'll see. You know what? That's that's the exciting thing about the draft. It's not necessarily draft night. It's, it's the anticipation and the... Uh, the time that these guys spend and we get to see them. Well, you guys, Patrick, you get to see them and you get to tell us about them. Right. <laughs> Man, we appreciate the time as always, Patrick. Uh, you're my go-to guy, our, our go-to guy. I really appreciate the time. Thanks, buddy. Uh, thanks a lot, guys. All right. Take care, bud. Oh, you too. That is Patrick Teal of Pinstripes Plus Magazine, the farm guru oh, my of the S Network family. I mean, that that uh, guy. Uh, I guess he's part of the S Network family since we we use him as a great resource. He's part of my family. Yes. Ever since we used him on batting practice, mm-hmm. uh, like maybe four or five years ago, Patrick, when I needed to know something about um, anybody in the system, not just you know double A, triple A, single A, high A, low A, whatever, if somebody got drafted, I wanted to know. Yep. I asked Patrick. Um, he know he's down there. He's based out of DC. Uh, he's close to Charleston. He goes down to Tampa. This is the, this is one of the guys who does all the legwork, goes down and sees these guys with his own two eyes. He doesn't read numbers. He doesn't make guesses. Patrick sees them and then makes a, a very astute Mm. hypothesis on what the guy is going to be or what he can be. As, as he starts moving and, along in the system. And like you said, too, you know, there's a lot of guys, you can't necessarily always take numbers. They never, numbers never lie, but you necessarily can't always take them, especially in the lower minors. And Chad Jennings, our hot stove contributor, low HUD, right. uh, Journal News beat writer for the Yankees, says it all the time if you read his stuff. It's like, you know, once I don't take stock in anything a guy does until he gets to at least high A or Trenton, because anything you do in the lower levels, you know, there's pitchers that have one pitch. They're working on things. Right. There's catchers that are learning right. how to play defensively. There's shifting going on. There's this, that, the other thing. So, you know, some things you can't take away. Jorge Mateo has, I think, 275 stolen bases for Charleston this year, <laughs> give or take. You, you can't teach speed, but, you know, how many of those are, you know, the pitchers he's facing have one pitch and don't know how to pitch out of the stretch and don't have a move and yada, yada, yada. He could see the sign and he's going on a curveball right. every exactly. time. Right, exactly. Yeah, who knows? So Patrick Teal uh, joined us earlier and now joining us via the Pick a Sponsor hotline. <laughs> Based on the products you and I consume, it should be the Starbucks hotline. Yes. How about the Ale- mm. Alexander Graham cell phone? How's that? Ooh. You like that? I like it. All right. Well, whatever. God bless Alexander Graham Bell for uh, allowing us to have guests on the Chris Sheeran show and 
The next guest is the beat writer for the Scranton Rail Riders from the Times Tribune in Scranton, Donnie Collins. Donnie, welcome to the program, buddy. Hey, Chris, how are you doing? We're good. Uh, it's Chris and it's Lou. And uh, my first question to you was my first question to Patrick Teal. Uh, well, my second question to Patrick Teal, my follow-up to him. And it deals with Rob Refsnyder. And, you know, you and I have talked about this on Twitter, Donnie. We've gone mm -hmm. back and forth. And, um, you know, a lot of people look at the numbers. Uh, they, they haven't seen him with their own two eyes uh, this season. But they look at the numbers and they just draw their own conclusions from the numbers. And some of the things that ha have been said on New York radio about this kid, you know, I want to reach through the radio and smack the hell out of the people that are saying them. Um, but... I'll, I'll just I'll give you something that was said, and then you just give me a response. Uh, we don't know if he could be a major league second baseman. Heck, we don't even know if he could be a minor league second baseman. Donnie Collins, your thoughts? That's ridiculous. <laughs> it's just the stupidest thing I've, I've ever in my life heard that this kid can't play second base. And, 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 I mean, second. If this is not splitting the atom here. I mean, he's a very good athlete. He's, he's a really. I, I've heard it all throwing back in the outfield back in the outfield to do what? They have a million outfielders in this organization. They, they need him to play second base. He, he's, he's a guy who last year in 60-some games at, at AAA made three errors. That's not a guy who can't play second base. I mean, and, and I understand. In, in the International League, you run into stadiums where you get a guy or two. Who, you know, you get an official scorer who's, who's going to give you a hometown call. Our, our scorers here, I can honestly say, at PNC Field, Scores here are not like that. They're, they're very tough on the home team. You know, Ref Snyder made three errors last year. He, he's a guy who can, who can do it. There's a lot of reasons why he got off to such a bad start in spring training. And there's a lot of reasons those, those, those struggles kind of continued in the first two, three weeks of the regular season. But he's different now. He's, he's, a, he's a much more aggressive defender. His footwork is better. He's kind of, he's kind of taken a whole new approach to how he's going mm -hmm. after the ball. And ever since May, I would say, you know, two and a half weeks in, the third week of April, about there, he's made two errors. He's a much better defender than he's getting credit for. And, look, I mean, look, nobody's going to be Roddy Cano. The man plays second base at a gold glove level. But you need someone You need someone there who can hit a little bit and just make the routine plays. Make the, make the play up the middle occasionally, turn the double play pretty well, and, and – and Brett Snyder's that kind of guy. To, to me, is he was he ready for the big leagues in, in April? No, I don't think so. I, I think Steven Drew is a better option. But but right now, I, I think he's certainly <laughs> making the push where you can start to say, what, let's not you know, let's not go on the air and make fools of ourselves and say, well, he can't play second base. Period. No way. No how. Well, let me throw this out at you. Even batting two sixty seven so far in June, uh, Stephen Drew has only raised his average to one seventy three. Um, Ref Snyder, we know could hit the ball. Here's the question that inquiring minds in the Yankee universe want to know, and I'm going to ask you point blank, Donnie: Can he play second in the major leagues? I think so. Let me tell you a story about another second base. I mean, this is about 10, oh, God, 13 years ago now. But you always, you always heard this guy couldn't play second base. No way he's going to be able to play second base defensively. And he reminds me a lot of Ref Snyder in the sense that, you know, he, he doesn't quite look the part sometimes. He, he looks like he's fighting the, fighting the ball. I, I, I would say, say Ref Snyder is a better defender at this stage than this other player was. And, and, and that, guy, that guy was Chase Utley. <laughs> now, granted, granted. Now, uh, Utley's, uh, he's not. I don't think can hit anywhere near what Utley's hit in the big leagues. I mean, during his good years when he was healthy, but uh, nobody complains about Utley's defense. It's amazing. What, I'm telling you, once this guy gets to the big leagues, three days in, nobody's ever going to say a word about his defense. He, he'd have to. He'd have to get off to a, a horrible start, and I don't think he will. He, he, he's just that. He's just the kind of guy who's a good ball player. He figures out a way. Is he Robbie Cano? No. He's not ever going to be that good defensively. But he's, he's certainly a passable defender at second base. And the way he hits, he's not going to hit one step bit. You, you, you mentioned the, we mentioned these errors. Gregorio Petit rehabbed in his first game the same day as Nova on Sunday. He made two errors in the same inning. So, I mean, things happen on the field that just things happen. But 
we'll move on to another guy who we know has no trouble playing defense and has started to hit really well and is now in the majors. What's happened to Mason Williams this year that, I mean, he was tearing up double A. You saw him come up to triple A for the last month or so, and now he's in the bigs. Is What's the difference in, in Mason Williams now than even last year? Uh, I, from what everybody tells me, now I didn't watch him much last year because, I mean, the guy hit 210, 220 or whatever it was in 2013. So I, I, he kind of fell off the radar on me a little bit. Their last I saw him for a couple of games in spring training, and that was it. But from what everyone tells me, this year he's in much better shape and, and much more focused. And, and, and he kind of went at it with a, you know, hey, my career's on the line kind of, kind of attitude. I, you know, I, I like William. I, I haven't seen a, a whole lot of him. I imagine they called him up because he certainly can play center field defensively better than Flores can, even though Flores is, 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 a, is a decent center fielder. But, I, but Mason Williams is a spectacular defender, so I, I assume that's why they – they're bringing him up, but you can't take away the fact guy's hitting 100 points higher this year than he did last year. He's just making more contact. He's making more good contact, putting the ball on the ground and using his, his speed. He's playing the game right now the way he should play the game. The only way he's going to be successful at it is he's making more contact. He's not, he's not trying to drive the ball over the fence every every time he gets a fastball, and, and he's using his speed. He, he's been he's been a dynamic leadoff hitter for the, for the Rail Riders. You know, the you know, I, I've always said in the International League, you're a good team if you have a good leadoff man. And the Rail Riders have had good leadoff men all year. They had Heathcott, and then they lost Heathcott to the big leagues, and up comes Williams, and now Williams goes up, and now they're going to get Terrell to replace him. So, so you know, it's it's a really good good place to shine in a lineup in this league. If, because if you're on base all the time, there's always a – there's always a number three or number four hitter on every team, no matter how bad or, or good you are offensively. There's always a guy who's going to be able to drive the end. And Williams really set the tone for this team as it was, as it was making its really big run here to the first place in the North Division. You mentioned outfielders and guys who have top-of-the-lineup profiles and getting on base. And, and one of the constants, that seems, from afar down there this year has been an outfielder who's very unheralded in the system being Ben Gamble, who's hitting upwards of 300. I don't know the exact numbers as of this week, but he's he's put together a very good season and somehow still under the radar, it seems, to a lot of fans based on, you know, Williams and Heathcott and Flores and, and Tyler Austin, of course, being the bigger name prospect. But Gamble's put together a pretty darn solid season down there for the Rail Riders. Yeah, he, I, he was hitting last I saw. I, I don't look at the batting averages. Every day, I mean, if I happen to know someone, he was hitting 320 last time I saw him a couple days ago. So I, I mean, he's he's been hitting since spring training. He's he did he's doing basically what Dallas Wheeler did here last year. Wheeler hit in spring training, came in and was pretty consistent through the year. I mean, Gamble has avoided, I mean, except for maybe a two or three game stretch a couple weeks ago, he's, he's avoided the, the, the really prolonged slump. I, the thing about Gamble is that if he gets called to the big leagues. This, this guy is going to have a tough time convincing the fans that belong there because he, he's a guy who he plays the game the way Heathcott. Was, you, know, you, you, heard, you heard the rumors, oh, Heathcott, he'd run through a wall for the ball. Gamble, Gamble would do that. Gamble's kind of a risk taker in the outfield. Sometimes it works, but most, you know, sometimes it doesn't. But most of the times he, you know, he's, he's making a diving attempt at a, at a ball that could be a single or a double. He, he's crashed into the center field wall and missed the game. This year, he, he, he's done a he's done a heck of a job for this team. They'd be they'd have been lost without him, really, because Austin struggled a little bit in the outfield, and then you lose Heathcott. And, you know, they needed somebody to go out there and hold down center field and and kind of kind of be a, a good bat in the middle of the lineup. And, and Gamble's done that. I, I don't know how much power the guy has, really. He's got more home runs this year than he had last year, I believe. I think he has, he has three this year, and he had two last year. But, but and, and this is a much bigger park, so maybe maybe that's something that's turned around with this game. We want to give it a half season and then look at that. But, you know, he's been, to me, one of the more impressive guys I've seen all year, all around. Just hustled, defensive ability, throwing arm, you know, base running ability. And, you know, the fact that he's hitting 320 tells you what you need to know about his ability offensively. And he won, Trenton hands out their awards. It's named after OxyClean, the dirtiest uniform kind of gritty player. He won that last year. And he kind of looks like, you know, he's got that ball player look. He looks like somebody put John Cruck in the dryer. (laughs) <laughs> somebody said. Somebody once said to me, like he's just got that gritty, like ball player look, and, and like you said, he would he would pretty much run through a wall and get dirty and do whatever he's got to do, and that's that's what it takes to be successful. I mean, look at Matthew Dellavedova in yeah. the NBA Finals. Yeah, uh, yeah he, 
he's a, he would be, if, if he wins that award again this year, if he, if he wins the dirtiest uniform or whatever award, he's going to be, he's going to be, he's, he's an offending champion. Wherever <laughs> he goes, he's going to be tough to beat because the guy always ends up looking, looking like a total wreck at the end of the game. <laughs> I, I, one, one night I, I, I saw him, got to take a 20-minute shower to get the dirt off of this guy. The way he's <laughs> it's, it's, it's incredible the way he, he fought the game. Like, you know, I told one of the guys I, you know, I, I covered a team with, I'm like, this is the way he's caught was supposed to play. You know, <laughs> Slate plays hard. This guy is this guy's absolutely uh, he's a lunatic out there when he dies for some of these balls. He's fun to watch. Yeah, 17 of his 57 hits are for extra bases. He has seven doubles, seven triples, and the three home runs, as you mentioned, Donnie. Uh, so, you know, that, that's the type of, if he gets up there and that's the way he plays, that's he'll be the, a fan favorite. That's really, a, yeah, quickly. that's the type of guy New York embraces guys that will run through walls for stuff. Uh, let's go to the mound now. Uh, Luis Severino, uh, started the season with double a Trenton. Uh, he's pitched, he's, uh, started three games for Scranton. He's three and two, three thirteen overall ERA between, both double-A and triple-A, eight starts for Trenton and three starts for Scranton. What have you seen so far in those three starts out of Severino? Oh, well, in, in, in three starts, I could honestly say this. For, for stretches during each of them, he's had absolutely dynamic stuff. I mean, he, he goes out against Buffalo the other day, and he retires the first 11 guys. And, it, 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 I mean, it's just as easy as you can possibly do it. I mean, just locating all his pitches. You know, he's, he's throwing 95, 96. He's got a change-up that, that absolutely just looks like it falls off the table. Uh, and then there's other times where it looks like he's a, a guy in his, you know, who's, who's only got three starts in, in AAA. He, you know, he, he, he doesn't locate very well. He gets fired because he's got dynamic, dynamic stuff. But, you know, he's, he's, he's still he's not as polished. And, and, and at this point, you know, I, I have some questions about his slider. He, he, he kind of telegraphed at arm angle. I think it's pretty well publicized after I noticed it in the this game, I went and you know read some scouting reports on him, and some of the scouts have, have said the same thing. He kind of telegraphed that slider a little bit, but it's still it's still a pretty good pitch. Now that, that said, my, my question with with Severino is right now, if he's going to go to big leagues, could he be a starter? I, I don't know. I think he's more of a two pitch guy. I think he'd play really well out of the Yankees bullpen right now. But that said, I, I hate to do that with a hate to do that with a guy who could be a starter. He, he, he could have three really good pitches. Two, two plus plus pitches, and you know he's intriguing to say the least because he's doing everything right. He attacks his game like a veteran guy. You have to kind of remind yourself over and over again: this guy's twenty one. This guy's twenty one. You don't you don't you don't see guys who are you know who are twenty one pitching like that internationally. Forgive me if I'm wrong. Now you can pick apart this comparison too, but some of the things you said in there almost make it seem like he's got a lot of the same makeup in terms of pitches and the way. As Jose Ramirez maybe had, and and he's found success in the bullpen, uh, I guess after you know dealing with all those shoulder and arm injuries over the last couple of years. Is that is that after? I mean, I'm sure he's a higher name prospect and probably a better pitcher overall. But is that an apt comparison for some people who may not, you know, have seen much of Severino? He is a better version of of, of Jose Ramirez. Yes, I I, I, I thought that. It, I, I come up, you, know, you see enough of these guys, you start to get these kind of crazy comparisons in your head, like. To me, Jacob Lindgren was the right was the left-handed Mark Montgomery. They had the same stuff except one was left-handed, one was right-handed. But you, you watch, you watch Severino, and it's like, wow, this is what they, this is what the, the, the really great scouting reports on Jose Ramirez used to say he was. You know, 95, 96, 97 with a fastball and, and a devastating changeup. But that third pitch, you didn't know. Now, in, in three starts, Severino is located a lot better than Jose Ramirez ever has. So that that's the thing you have to kind of. Way I think is could Severino as a 21 year old evolve into something better than Jose Ramirez has evolved into, and, and I think that certainly, certainly there's there's hope for him to do that. He, he could possibly be that guy a, a lot sooner than Ramirez ever would have been. I I, I think Ramirez is a much better reliever than a starter. I, I still think the jury's still out there on Severino, and, and in my mind, could he he could be a dominant reliever, but could he be that dominant starter? He, He, you said he could be a dominant reliever, but Donnie, do you think, uh, as the saying goes, do you need he meet, needs more cooking before he could actually make a difference in the Bronx, or do you think he could possibly, before September call up, come up and help out? Yeah, I think he definitely 
call up and come up and help. I, if they called them up now, what I would say, they, they might just say, scrap that slider for a little while and just go fastball, change up, and, and throw in the bullpen where they obviously need a guy right now. But I, I, don't, I don't think that's going to happen. I, I, I think they're, they're going to give them a, a couple more starts out here and see what they have. Maybe at the all-star break here or just shortly after the, the big league all-star break and see, you know, you know, just have a serious talk about it because stuff-wise and, and, and age-wise, it's, it's not. It doesn't get much better than this kid in the minors. Like, it, I mean, really, right now, the, the rail riders have two starters who have who have better stuff than all but nine or ten guys I've probably ever seen come through the minors at, at, at this level in, in the last thirteen years of covering minor league baseball. It, it, is the other one Brian Mitchell? The other one's Mitchell. I Mitchell's been <laughs> unbelievable here this season. Don't, don't you know, rush. Here's the thing about Mitchell. <laughs> don't I rush just, the bit, Donnie. <laughs> I was getting there. Yeah, yeah, the thing about Mitchell is that he's just, you know, if you rattled off the stuff, what he could throw, you swear you were talking about Roger Clemens. <laughs> he's, he's, an he's got unbelievable stuff. But, but Severino's that, that kind of guy, too. If it, you know, especially if that slider could be, a little more polished, and it, just, it doesn't need much. Just a, just a little bit more. You know, I, I, I guess I'm kind of old school, and I talk to scouts who a, a lot who, who who think this way. But you know, you you it, it take the extra month to develop a starter, and not just throw someone in the bullpen because you need one there. And I, and I think the Yankees at this stage, they're in first place. They're playing very well. Yeah, I think they'd have to be they, they'd have to be hitting the, the I don't want to say the panic button, but but the, the emergency button, I think, at this point, to, to be thinking Severino in the bullpen before September. Okay, uh, so you gave us a little nibble on Mitchell. How about uh, uh, an entree uh, discussion on, on the starter down there? He one earned run in his last 18 innings pitch. You, you know, you just look at the, the numbers uh, out on the page. He's 4-4. Four and four. But if you dig deeper, you know, without seeing him, you see that he's been dominant, especially his start against Norfolk, uh, two hitter through eight. I mean, he's just been great down there. Yeah, at the Norfolk start, he, he it was eight innings, two hits, he threw 79 pitches. And that's a very good offensive team, Norfolk, at this year. And they had no chance against Brian Mitchell that night. But, well, here's, what, here's what they did. They, they saw how good his slider was that night. And they decided once we get that 97 mile an hour fastball, we better swing at it because that's the only pitch we have a chance to hit. And there are two hits. One of them, one of them was, a, was one of them was a changeup that Mitchell left up in the zone, and they got a, whoever I forget who had the single, but he he, he drives a single to left. And the, and the other hit was on a was on a pop up that kind of fell in the, in the short right, and that was the extent. He didn't he didn't allow a runner past first base that day, and that to me is you know when you got the stuff he has, he's got a. He's got a really, really good changeup. He drops a curveball in there. He's got a slider that, when it's on, nobody can touch. And he's got a 96, 97 mile an hour fastball that's been legitimately there all year. And, and when he's commanding it, like he was that night against Norfolk, forget it. He, nobody's going to touch him at this point. But the start that almost impressed me more was the next one when he walked seven guys or six guys or whatever it was, because the, because that was against Pawtucket, another good offensive team, and they still couldn't touch him either. When when he threw the ball over the plate, they were. They, they, they just had no chance. He has been. There's a lot of questions about the guy. Don't get me wrong. He's, you look at his stats in his career. His stuff has always been there. You look at the stats and they don't match up to the kind of stuff he has. You, you want to see domination. He doesn't strike out a lot of guys. He strikes out his share, but not ten a game. And you know, he, he's got a losing record, I believe, in his career. But he's been much better in AAA since he got called up last year. I think the I think the stint with the Yankees built his confidence. And I definitely think he's he's getting helped by by catching by, by working with Eddie Rodriguez, the, the backup catcher, pretty much exclusively here. But Rodriguez was a coach last year. He's a, he's a really good motivator, and I think Mitchell has needed that to kind of take the the step up. Now I mean, the questions are: Could he throw strikes consistently? He got to the big leagues on the big stage, and you know, obviously, you know, could he work with a, a another catcher? Because you know, the other catcher here is Austin Romine, and he's a really, really good defender who really works well with the pitching staff. But he's caught the, the two the two Mitchell games he's caught this year. Mitchell's got like a thirty ERA. Wow! So it's it, it, that it's that stark a difference. And I think for Mitchell, as well as he's done with Eddie Rodriguez, and as good a job as he's you know as good a job as Eddie has done there, and and, and that's his one role with the team now for, for Eddie is to, to kind of guide Mitchell along. 
I think if it would benefit Mitchell to maybe catch a couple, or maybe pitch a couple of games for Romine, and, and just for his own, you know, just, just for his own state of mind moving forward. That, you know, hey, I can throw to John Ryan Murphy or to McCann or whoever I'm going to throw to in the big leagues because I, I think in, in a lot of ways, if the Yankees need a starter, or if they decide, you know, we have to go to, you know, we have to go to the sixth to Sonova or, or the sixth starter or whatever, and we have to move Mitchell or excuse me, Warren to the bullpen. I think Mitchell's going to be the guy. Here's a, just a quickie. One more for me, and then Lou's going to ask you something. But you said he's throwing 97. How how long into the game is he hitting 97 on the gun? Oh, pretty consistent. That, that's the amazing thing about him. He's, you know, you're looking at the – I've seen him hit 97 into the fifth, sixth inning. I mean, not as consistently. He's more 94, 95, but that's still an excellent fastball. That's yeah, absolutely. <clears throat> Seems like the only thing you can stop him lately is fog. <laughs> yeah, that was that was almost a. You know, it's amazing. They they came back and won that game the next day, but there was a you know fog storm rolled. Scranton Wilkesbury teams have over the years have had games canceled or postponed or fogged out for the craziest reasons in Buffalo. I, I drove up there one day and got a wind out because it was, it was just too windy. Oh, wind out. <laughs> yeah. So so, uh, you know, so Mitchell Mitchell came three outs away. From, his record would be better if he if he got the pitch that in because they weren't touching him that day either. You know, yeah, he was he, he was uh, he, he's been excellent. There, there's no no two ways about it. And you know, for all these tensions on Severino, I think it's Mm-mm. Mitchell right now is the more polished star. We have one last question for you, Donna. We've seen pretty much everybody on the 40 man roster that's been in Scranton this year, except for I guess Burrowa is the only one that hasn't come up. We've talked about Ben Gamble and Ref Snyder. If there's one other guy down there in Scranton right now that's not on the 40-man roster but is generating some buzz or is one of those guys that you say, if something happens, this guy is going to be the one to get the call, who is it? I like Nick Rumbelow a lot. He's, he, there's no, there's no, nothing fancy about Rumbelow. He throws 94, 95. He, he throws it over the plate, and he throws a slider. And, 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 and for a team that really needs a, a right-handed option out of the bullpen, I, I think he's a, he's a he's a good bet to maybe get that look at some point. I mean, his numbers aren't great, but you have to understand in the, in the, in the minors, you're throwing two winnings sometimes. I, mean, I don't have the numbers in front of me, but his his numbers in his second inning are not as good as the numbers in his first inning. And really, if you go to the big league, your first inning is probably your most important one anyway when you have a deeper bullpen like that. So, so um, I, I just, I, I like Rumble O. I, there are you know, other than that, other than that, I mean, I, I, the other guy that I think can, can help the Yankees, and nobody's talking about is Romine. He, he's really had a really good year. He's hitting to some bad luck, or his numbers would be better. But he's a, he's a legitimate middle of the order guy this year for this team, and I, and I can't say, yeah, I, I can't say that he ever had been before. But you look at him, and he's playing every day, and he's, he's catching, he's catching four to five games, and he's really doing a, a great job. Now, and here's a guy who's kind of really came down here and pouted and had a really bad attitude. Been that way. He's been he, he, he's been very positive. He's he's working to get back to the big leagues. And he's doing everything he could ask. So I, I, I think I think that people should start watching Romine a little bit, especially because you know he's he's a legitimate backup. You know, guy's got big league ready catcher. Donnie, excellent job. We appreciate the time. You know, when I hosted the Nets pre and post game. And during that game, we had a rain delay at a basketball arena. I thought I heard everything, but a wind—I've seen that before too. A wind out is is a new one for me, so yeah. I, I will have to chalk that one up in the old memory banks so I can remember that. Donnie Collins of the Times Tribune in Scranton, the beat writer for the Scranton Rail Riders. We appreciate the time, buddy. Chris, well, thanks. All right, take care, buddy. There he goes. That's Donnie Collins giving us some uh, updates there. Down at AAA Scranton, uh, two great spots today, Teal and Collins. This, this has been your Baby Bombers yeah. bonanza. I might tell this Baby Bomber bonanza. Alliteration? Yes. Triple you know I'm big on that. Like this is the Guy Fieri of podcasts. Something Instead like of Triple D, it's Triple B. We are slam-banging, bivouacking, and all kinds <laughs> of other words. Oh, boy. We, and we've still got like 10 minutes before we hit the magic hour. So we I should know. probably talk about the real Yankees, real in quotes, the Major yeah. League Yankees, because we're, um, well, there's a reason why Mason Williams and now Chris Martin are here. Andrew Miller. And it's Andrew Miller. And that is huge with a capital huge. Yeah. Him going down with that, with that injury. And they retroed it to the, to yesterday, to uh, the 10th. Well, right? Or, 
Yes, to yesterday. It's Thursday the 11th as we tape, so to the 10th. But this, he didn't is, pitch this is no baseball activity for two weeks. He, July 4th minimum yeah. is when you'll see him again. So this is huge. Mm-hmm. Uh, what doesn't make it as big a deal is that you have another kind of built-in closer in Dellen Batances. But right. when Batances and Miller are both not available in a game that you could have swept your homestand yeah. – uh, and and against the Nationals, uh, give them a little payback. Uh, look, Jacob Lindgren didn't pitch bad. He left one pitch up, and he Michael Taylor a, hit it yeah. a country mile. It happens. Uh, that's what happens when you throw that hard. Yep. Um, the Yankee, you know, they tie it up. They take the lead. They win it. Um, I think the Yankees will be fine. Getting Chris Martin back is huge. Uh, he was working his way into that trusted bullpen spot yeah. a little bit before he got hurt. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, he, he could... I don't know if he's your eighth inning guy. Um, I think I think the way Joe put it is, you know, it's probably going to be a lot of mixing and matching, right. especially with five lefties. You can you're not going to have a yeah. You can go lefty, righty, lefty if you need to. Not going to have a seventh or eighth inning guy right. for the time being. Here's here's the thing that stinks about the Miller injury, besides the fact that he's been dominant this year. And you know, there's question marks about Batances maybe in the ninth. He says like, just got to take the same approach in the eighth and ninth. Here's the whole question mark about this thing, and this goes back to the trusted bullpen. And this will lead into something that Donnie said about Nick Rumble. I was hoping that was going to be the answer because the Yankees do need – I mean, Esmeel Rogers is their other right-hander, and you saw what happened last Friday. I, I Somebody in the press box made the joke that there's no DFA in Esmeel Rogers yet. Here's the issue. Joe Girardi takes a lot of heat. There's a lot of people that just quote the binder. Right. And if you if you know that – train of thought, you know exactly what I mean. He doesn't trust anybody in that bullpen right now other than Batances and Miller, which is why Batances pitched the eighth inning in a 5-1 game, and then Miller had to come in to close out a 6-1 game because Shreve got into a little bit of trouble. You talk about that emergency or that panic button. Girardi said yesterday in talking about Miller, someone asked him if it was an overuse thing because Miller mentioned the word fatigue, which it's June. You really shouldn't be that tired. And Girardi said, you know, you don't want to think that way, but you always wonder and you go back and you look and this and that. This isn't a one-time, an isolated thing that happened on Tuesday night. He goes to Batances and Miller a lot in situations where somebody else realistically should be pitching. Somebody else in that bullpen should be getting that spot. I'm not, I'm not talking that it's Esmeel Rogers coming in an 8-1 game and the tying runs on third base when the game ends. I'm talking like, you know, it's five to one in the ninth inning and Andrew Miller's in there. Yeah. Because it's not a safe situation yet, but he doesn't want to we want to take the win and we'll worry right. You know, Boomer and Carton uh this morning, it was actually Craig Carton and Chris Sims, um, were talking about, you know, he goes to that button of I'll worry about tomorrow, tomorrow. Let me get this win today. And that seems to be the way he's managing the bullpen a little bit because he doesn't necessarily trust a lot of those guys down there. That's going to be a problem late in the season, even if all things are well, going well. And it's to... already a problem now because one of the two guys he trusts ain't picking up a baseball until well, the end he, of the month. He's he's going to have to start putting some trust in some of these guys and, and making mm-hmm. them uh, earn their paycheck. I mean, you're going to have to start, like you said, mixing and matching whatever it is. If you don't have a seventh inning guy, you don't have an eighth inning guy, whatever. You're going to have to start using these guys. And just because Lindgren gave up the home run yesterday doesn't mean you don't go to him right. uh, over the weekend in Baltimore. You have to keep going to this kid. You know, his college coach said, Jacob isn't the guy that you throw out there and you expect three innings from him, two innings from him. You say, hey, Jacob, go be electric for 25 pitches. That's what he gives you. Yeah. And that's what you need to do. You need to go to Lindgren. You need to go to uh, – uh, guys, well, I mean, Jason Shreve has Chase shown good Shreve, stuff. At time you have too. to go to him. You have to, you know, Chris Martin is back. Even though he's just back, you have to get Martin back into the mix. You have to get all these guys going. You have CC Sabathia going on Saturday, I believe. Girardi, so yeah. you know, you're gonna Girardi said this help is, on Saturday. This is this is going to lead into two things I was going to mention. One of which is with all this bullpen flux now. I hope to God they don't rush Ivan Nova back if he's not ready after this start on Saturday because it might seem very easy to say, all right, Nova's ready, we'll put him in, we'll have Warren make a start, be down a couple days, and then just move him back to the bullpen. He's arguably been their number two-and-a-half-ish starter yeah. this Warren year because had... Tanaka's two, but he missed you know half the season, 
so Warren's far. Been, Warren's been consistent. He's been consistent, and he's pitched very well of late. That's one issue. The other issue is, Girardi mentioned, you know, and it may, it may have been with a coy smile, but yesterday he said there might be a little tweak to the rotation this weekend. Pineda's pitching tomorrow night, obviously. CeCe and uh, Warren are on turn for the weekend. CeCe pitched Sunday, Warren pitched on Saturday, so they're both on full rest mm-hmm. now. Uh, they've had four and five days off, and it's Thursday. Here's kind of something that popped into my head yesterday, thinking about why he mentioned that. CC Sabathia, yes, he's probably going to pitch this weekend because he's on turn anyway. I don't think he wants to see 34-year-old CC with a bad knee run the bases. I also don't think he wants to watch Masahiro Tanaka hit. <laughs> the Yankees games Monday and Tuesday are in Miami. Right. Tanaka pitched Tuesday, which means he's on turn Sunday. So as much as the Yankees have been five days rest or as much rest for Tanaka as possible, this might be a situation, especially when you Weird. know you're going to push a, a starter in there because you got 20 in a row. You're going to push a starter in there Put somewhere. Put him in there on Sunday. Put him in there on regular rest on Sunday so that he doesn't have to pitch Monday or Tuesday and, and run the bases. Because if, yeah. if you go Pineda, Warren, CeCe this weekend, Avaldi will be ready Monday. You've either got to throw Tanaka Tuesday or you've got to bring – that's the start where you got to bring up Either Mitchell or some, you know, Cap, does Capuano get a start because he's pitched in the National League? I mean, these may sound like strange things. And, and you know, even, uh, you know, Troy Benjamin, one of our producers, mentioned to me, he's like, what, what do you mean? Pitchers are afraid to bat? I'm like, no, but. Managers are afraid to put pitchers who have you, bad you remember wheels Ming, and elbows. Yeah. Chin Ming Wong was headed for the Hall of Fame Houston. until June of 2009. In and Houston. Yeah, or 2008. And look what happened. So. That may be the tweak. Maybe it's CC Tanaka this weekend to avoid them having to pitch in Miami. Think about that. He never came back from that. Never. No, that never. was the end of his career. He, pretty he much. missed. He missed the rest of the year. He was there in April and stunk in 2009. Went back on the DL. That's when Hughes came to prominence. And then finally, they shuffled the rotation around and moved Hughes to the bullpen for the the stretch run there for the championship. But he's been. He was never the same. No. And he's still kicking around. I think he's on his like fifth different AAA team in the last four or five years now. It's a shame. He's in. I believe he's in Atlanta. I believe he's pitching for Gwinnett. And, so, and you could say, you know, managers are paranoid to put the <clears throat> pitchers out there, but it's a damned if you do and damned if yeah. you do situation. Because <laughs> God forbid, you know what'll happen? Is oh yeah. Tanaka's Tanaka's breezing through six innings, swings, he, he, and know, he, hurts his elbow. He, he's no hitting the Marlins. Right. He 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 walks. <laughs> because, you know, somehow the maybe David Phelps is on the mound and he gets a little jumpy. Who knows? He walks, and then, you know, Brett Gardner slaps one into the gap, and he's got to run the bases, and he turns an ankle or, you know, steps wrong around the bases, and he overcompensates and blows out his elbow. The, you know. Or his knee. Or his anything. knee or anything. The, the rabble-rousers will be calling for Joe Girardi's head five minutes later. Look, the Yankees have too much invested in Tanaka to be frivolous with him in a, in a national league park in the world series. Yeah. Fine. <laughs> You're going to bat. Yeah. But in this situation, <laughs> one game, one or two games of the world series right. in, in this situation against the Marlins yep. in June, if you could avoid it, you avoid it. And the Yankees after Monday, Tuesday, their only two remaining interleague series that are on the road are in late August and September in Atlanta and against the Mets. So by then you can move things, you know, September right. especially with the forty man roster, you can move right. things around. But yeah, I mean, he's got nine career plate appearances, all of which came during that span last year where the Yankees went to Milwaukee, St. Louis, Chicago, and then came back and played the Mets. So that's it. He he's never batted outside of that. He's got nine plate appearances. And I agree with you. I don't think he's going to see the batter's box. No. Uh, so I wouldn't be surprised week. if he, if Girardi says sometime this weekend that he's pitching Sunday, even though it's on lack of rest. And with Capuano in the pen, maybe you limit him to 80 pitches, you know, and then you let Capper go or Esmeal Rogers, you know, kind of pick <laughs> up the slack. That was the Esmeal Rogers eye roll. <laughs> He's, you know, he, that? honestly, let, let me let me put it this way, because, you know me, I know you follow the Twitter machine and I do, too, especially running part of the Yes Network account times during games and the the the. The the cause salab of of let's get the hell out of here this with this guy already has moved on from Stephen Drew to Esmeel Rogers. Yeah. 
I mean, Drew did hit two home runs on Friday. Hit another two on Tuesday. Hit four this month he's, out of his nine. I mean, he's you know he's clobbering the ball. But of he's late, still but, only hitting two sixty seven for the month. Right. And 173 for the year. And here's here's one thing I wanted to mention to you, knowing we were going to do a Rob Ref Snyder centric set with both right. of our guests. Right. Th- this is this is why you know Girardi said even over the course of 160 games, numbers even out, and that's why baseball is such a strange mm-hmm. game because you look at certain isolated streaks and it's good or bad either way. If Stephen Drew has 300 more plate appearances this year over the next four months, mm-hmm. three and a half months. Mm-hmm. And gets 100 hits. He hits, or 90 hits. He hits 300. His average will still only go up to, I believe, 237. Will you look back at the end of the year and say, well, Drew only hit 237? Or will you look back at the end of the year and go, well, damn, Drew hit 300 in the second half? It's probably going to be the latter, right? Probably. So that's, you know, that's where things even out. Yes, he's he's stunk for, let's call it four months now, because he... He was pretty bad in August and September for the Yankees, too, Mm -hmm. and and not so much in April. But he's kind of turned it on in late May, early June, maybe let Ref Snyder develop a little more. But like I said, the the cause of of the torch has been passed to Esmeel Rogers in terms of the let's get this guy out of here. Don't you mean mantle? The torches have been lit. Have been lit and sent in that direction. (laughs) That's that's what the Twitter verse is now. That's their newest cause. Especially now with Batances being the only other righty and the closer. Fire Esmeel. There's no save Esmeel, like save Ferris. Call me Esmeel. Yeah, call on. me Esmeel. Can you imagine if Ferris Bueller, by the way, 30 years since that movie came out, mm-hmm. can you imagine if the Twitter machine was around back then, the hashtag save Ferris, oh, God. how viral that would have been? Do you know, I, I, I learned this. That would this, have been trending for God knows how long. I learned this in a, in a niner I did not too long ago. Do you know who hit the foul ball from uh, the game the footage game? That, that, that they caught in the stands, that Cameron caught? You know who hit? Who was the batter in that scenario? Andre Dawson. It's an ex-Yankee. Really? Danny Tartable. Claudel Washington. Claudel Washington. <laughs> I say ex-Yankee with air quotes because he played what, like twenty games and was on the yeah. DL for three and a half years. But it's all right, he was still a Yankee. Yes. So that's just your piece of trivia for he the day. He wore number eighteen. Yes. Claudel Washington. Washington. Downtown Washington. <laughs> Speaking oh, of downtown, boy. I got to throw a shout out. Oh, go ahead. Uh, yesterday, so I play. You know, I play softball. Um, yes, I do. I do not play for the Yes Network team, unfortunately. Um, last night, our did you finally get a jersey? I saw something on Facebook. The number seventy. No, no. So what happened was, um, the guy that runs the team I play on, mm-hmm. he's been running it forever. He's had some back and neck issues the last couple of years. Hasn't really played much. So he's been doing the. I'll take one at bat a year to say I've been I've played in so and so consecutive years. He's declining again in that you know his his back is shot basically. So he said this year he was going to take one at bat, um, and he planned it for last night. The field we played at was the field where he won his first championship as a player in Stanford at Southfield Park, which looks like it belongs in downtown Beirut based on the condition of the field. <laughs> Seriously, get your uh, S together there, Stanford Parks and Rec. <laughs> uh, so a couple of our guys were late. There was crazy traffic last night in Stanford. Something was going on over there by the dump, and the roads were blocked off. Oh, good. So I don't know what was going on. Anyway, point being, so Clarky steps up. He's hitting seventh, I think. Steps up, and he hits a, he hits a, a rope, kind of like looper fly ball into, in, in the leftish center, left centerish field. The right center fielder runs over. The left center fielder runs over. Neither one of them has any idea who's going to catch it. The ball drops in between them and rolls away. Center field at that park is downhill, mm-hmm. a little bit downhill. The ball rolls downhill into the wood, almost into the woods. Clark ends up in his final at bat ever with an inside the park home run. You cannot have a better. I mean, that's a Derek Jeter ending for a wreck softball player <laughs> to step up on the field you won your first championship on 20 years ago. And and hit an inside the park home run in your final at bat. Good so for I, him. I got to give Steve a shout out for that. That's his. Uh, he's going out on. He took off his jersey, cracked a beer, sat down on the bleachers, and said, "I'm done." As soon as he crossed the plate. Well, Sunday, uh, I will be starting my uh, fifth game for the Bridgeport Brewers this year on the mound. Uh, I am zero four. <laughs> uh, it's been a terrible run so far. We are playing the Trumbull Titans for the second time this year. 
Uh, I got lit up in the first game against them. Uh, so this is a little redemption song for me this Sunday. Mm. Bridgeport Central High School, uh, if anybody's interested. At Speaking of belongs in downtown Beirut. <laughs> nine o'clock in the morning. It's an interesting ride in uh, every Sunday to our home field. Do you uh, go by the Dunkin' Donuts with, like, the bulletproof glass? Is that in that neighborhood? No, 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 no. It's uh, 49S on the Merritt Parkway mm-hmm. to exit 3 off of that extension there. Yep, and then and you then go kind of through Main Street down into Bridgeport. You make a left at a Walgreens, mm-hmm. and then the high school entrance is up past the car wash. Yep. But uh, I need to... I need to come correct does, this weekend. Does every team in this league have alliterative names like the Bridgeport Brewers and the Trumbull Titans? Like, do we have like the Shelton Sharks and the uh, no the Milford Maulers and stuff? No. Uh, Milford A's, okay. uh, Monroe Top Hats, Stanford Mets, Stanford Pirates. Um, I think the rest of them are pretty much um, okay. New Canaan Cannons. There's another one. Well, that's yeah, Canaan Cannon. That's that's more less. Well, it's alliterative because it's a two word. Uh, town title, I guess. <laughs> town name. I can't speak. Um, but yeah, I, I need to uh, get my head out of my, you know what. No. And that's what my brother basically told me. Who catches? He, on the way home last week, he was just like, "Your worst enemy is yourself. You get inside your head." And he says, "When you get pissed off and you just throw, that's when you're best." So we'll see on Sunday. Hey, I was two for three uh, or two for two with a walk. A couple runs scored yesterday. Three for three with. Uh, Two runs scored the other day in uh, my other league, so I, I had a good week. I stunk. Let me rub your head, you know, for yeah. luck, maybe. And don't we'll, rub we'll my head for luck. He'll go zero for seven. <laughs> um, yeah. So, game is at nine o'clock on Sunday morning against the Titans. I will have to leave the park by at least eleven o'clock because I have to be back here in the studio to host the Yankees pregame show at one o'clock, and the lovely. Sarah Kustak will be filling in for Meredith. Oh, Morocco. Sarah's in Baltimore this weekend. Yes, down in, in the Baltimore. So it'll be like a Nets game with baseball being played. Hmm. Interesting. <laughs> the, hey, like you said, there's been a rain delay in a basketball court, so anything can happen. Well, hopefully it's a nice, beautiful day down there at the Inner Harbor on Sunday <sighs> afternoon there. Mr. I'll DePage. be in Delaware on Saturday celebrating my birthday by watching deathmatch wrestling oh, in the field. So, I mean, birthday. you know, that's just the way. If you want to send me Twitter gifts, feel free. Happy early birthday. Thank you. All right, for Lou, I'm Chris. The Magic Hour has been completed. We'd like to thank one more time the uh, publisher of Pinstripes Plus Magazine, Patrick Teal, and the beat writer for the Scranton Rail Riders from the Times Tribune in Scranton. That would be Donnie Collins. They brought it today. We appreciate them coming on. Uh, we hope you guys enjoyed it as well, getting some baby, baby bomber bonanza news. Bam! In our podcast today. So for Lou, I'm Chris. We'll see you next week right here on the Chris Sheeran Show.